Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa at the Under-23 Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt and by our European football expert Stuart Weir. On this week's show, lots on the Under-23 Nations Cup, looking at how it compares to the Senior Nations Cup that was played in July, plus the level of organisation, and what it means for the teams to take a top-three finish and to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics next year. It keeps Nigeria in the position where we are, because in Africa we are one of the best footballing nations, so it's just going to the Olympics is just like taking our place. If we're not there, it's just like losing our place. Plus lots on the English Premier League as Liverpool go into the international break with a huge lead at the top. Let's start with the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. A week of action getting the group stage underway, running from last Wednesday up to next Tuesday. The top two teams in each group qualify for the finals in Cameroon. Well, huge congratulations to listeners in the Gambia. A fantastic 3-1 win away to Angola, opening their campaign. That's the Scorpions' first ever away win in qualifying for the Nations Cup and for the World Cup as well. They'll host DR Congo on Monday, looking to qualify for for the Nations Cup for the first time and the DRC were held to a goalless draw by Gabon on Thursday night. Holders Algeria really meaning business, a clobbering Zambia 5-0 in their opening game. Ghana getting off to a good start, beating South Africa 2-0 and Mali drawing 2-2 with Guinea. Surprise results in Group G as Egypt were held to a 1-1 draw by Kenya while Comoros won 1-0 away to Togo. There was a small crowd at the giant Borg El Arab Stadium in Alexandria as Kenya equalised in the second half. Egypt Mohamed Salah missing that game because of an ankle injury. So Comoros, the top of the group, uh, was expecting great things from Togo with their legendary coach, the Frenchman Claude Lois, but getting off uh, to a losing start. Kenya play Togo on Monday and Comoros take on Egypt also on Monday. Uh, Mozambique beat Rwanda 2-0, a game interrupted by floodlight failure in Maputo. Promising start for Malawi, beating South Sudan 1-0 and Namibia also making a winning start in Group A beating Chad 2-1 at home. A big gun Senegal beat Congo Brazzaville 2-0 and Nigeria had to come from behind in Uyo to get past neighbours Benin 2-1 in Group L. In the other Group L games Sierra Leone drew 1-1 with Lesotho in an empty stadium in Freetown uh, this because of incidents in the World Cup qualifier when Sierra Leone played Liberia a couple of months ago. More on these qualifiers on next week's show. And in women's football, Cameroon and Zambia will play each other in January to decide who will automatically qualify for the women's football tournament at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Uh, the losers of the game between Cameroon and Zambia will play Chile in a playoff uh, for another place at the Olympics. So in fourth round qualifying, Cameroon got past Ivory Coast 2-1 after a goalless first leg in Abidjan. And Zambia doing really well in this tough campaign, beating Kenya one nil last Monday to go through 3-2 on aggregate. So Cameroon and Zambia will play for the automatic qualifying slot for Africa at the Olympics next year.
And Didier Drogba could become the next president of the Ivory Coast Football Federation. Uh, the elephant and Chelsea legend is in the running. He's been nominated by the third tier of football in Ivory Coast. Uh, his nomination has been made in time. Uh, the incumbent president, Augustin Sidi Diallo's tenure, runs out next month. So uh, surely he would have a lot to offer in the administration of the game, would uh, the great Didier Drogba. Well now to the Under-23 Africa Cup of Nations in Cairo in Egypt with eight teams participating and the top three qualifying for next year's Olympics. This just four months after the Senior Africa Cup of Nations which was also held in Egypt with Algeria beating Senegal in the final. Now Ida is in Cairo. She's had a chance to watch some of the games. So how does this Under-23 tournament compare to the Senior Nations Cup itself in June and July, Ida? And uh, first, big congratulations to you as you were invited there by the Egypt Ministry of Youth and Sport to receive the Excellence Award for Young African Journalists in Sport uh, from the government and from the African Youth Bureau. Wow. Thanks a lot, Steve. It's a beautiful time here in Cairo. You know, the, the noise, the lights... Cairo is literally the city that um, never sleeps and it's been such a blessed week and it's a beautiful feeling to have hard work fettered. And Steve, you know better than most just the tremendous amount of effort that goes into this work and just goes to show that you never really know who is watching. But I think even bigger than me is the fact that I want to use this as an encouragement I want to use this as a rallying call to everyone to just keep at it in their craft. You know, there are the good days, there will be the bad days. And I think ultimately it's our passion that should be able to see us through, you know. So all glory to God for how far he has brought us. But yes, Steve, um, Cairo is a bit more chilly (laughs) than I expected. I remember when I got here, it was around 22 degrees Celsius and... um, it's their version of winter, I would imagine. And, you know, it's a far cry from the um, heat wave temperatures that we experienced during the Africa Cup of Nations in July. But to the under-23 African, well, the quality of football is definitely decent. And um, we'll talk about the attendance in just a bit. Some thrillers, uh, as I'm sure you saw, especially uh, that game between Egypt and Ghana. And uh, speaking of the young Olympic pharaoh, Steve, if you remember our conversation last week, I specifically picked out Egypt to really have a go at this tournament. Couple of reasons, top of which were, of course, they are the hosts, but I think even bigger than that is the fact that they are trying somewhat to compensate for what was the lackluster performance of the senior team during the Nations Cup in July. Well, the young pairs have done just that. They are having a really good tournament so far. Uh, Had to come back from behind against Ghana, but I think that also spoke somewhat to their grit, you know, and just how badly they want it. And indeed, they were the first team to qualify for the semifinals, did that, Steve, with a game to spare. So Egypt looking really good, winning all three group games to finish top of Group A. Ghana taking second in the group and qualifying for the semi-finals. Uh, Ghana drew with Cameroon, then they lost 3-2 to Egypt in a thriller and they beat Mali 2-0 on Thursday night. It was do or die and they managed to make it through. So Group A, Egypt nine points. Ghana on four, go through ahead of Cameroon on goal difference. Group B finishes on Friday night. That's wide open. South Africa on four points. Nigeria 
and Ivory Coast on three and Zambia on one. And Ida, I'm sure that you've met a lot of interesting people there. Well, you know, Cairo never disappoints. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the sights, it's the sounds, it's the people. And uh, I will say this, however, the attendance is definitely nothing to write home about. I mean, each game is probably getting around a few hundred fans, Steve, at best. I attended the Sina Afcon around June, July. I see attendance is not that good, but I'm one of the people who attend all the games. I'm here on Friday. Nigeria, watch out for us. I did speak with uh, Mohamed Taha, who is a top award-winning sports journalist here in Egypt on the levels of interest. Well, not fair to compare between the AFCON and 23. And the, the, the AFCON, it's big tournament and also 24 teams participated in this tournament and all um, uh, professionals player in level one like Sadio Mane, like uh, Hakim Zayash, like uh, Khaledi Kulubali, like a lot of players, all uh, fans in the wallet focused with them. Interesting bit is that Mohammed happened to work with one of the stations broadcasting the tournament here in Egypt. And as you very well know, Steve, the under-23 Afghan really took a hard hit with lack of broadcasting, the TV blackout currently being experienced as a result of the tension, you know, that's there between uh, Cap and Lagadere. Uh, but look, it's not to say that the few fans going to the stadium aren't having a good time. And in situations like these is where you really see the passion, Steve. Fans traveling from different parts of the country just to be able to attend the games. And if you talk to the stewards, interestingly enough, if you talk to the stewards at the stadium, they point out the Nigerian fans <laughs> specifically as having a blast, you know. A few hundred fans, Steve, producing the noise of a few thousand. Wow! I'm feeling very, very happy, overjoyous. <laughs> so unlike the Africa Cup of Nations in July that featured six stadiums, the under-23 Afghan is happening across two stadiums only. Now, that being the Cairo International Stadium and the Al Salam Stadium. I will say that Cairo is definitely offering better access to the fans, um, it being the capital city, since Al Salam is about an hour, Steve, outside the capital. So it's quite a distance for some of the fans to be able to travel, let alone on uh, work days. Well, really giving us a feel of the under-23 Africa Cup of Nations there in Cairo. Um, so much smaller crowds than the Nations Cup itself, uh, but some crazy supporters nonetheless. Uh, so is it well organised, Ida? The level of organisation of the tournament is pretty good. The opening ceremony dazzled many, Steve, and most people I talked to were actually pretty surprised, saying that they didn't expect that level of ceremony for an under-23 competition. And look, it's not just the players, but even the press, because uh, the media centers are good, quite well equipped. 
Uh, more specifically, I did prefer the Al Salam Stadium Media Center to the Cairo International, but it's much less crowded than the July Nations Cup, and I would imagine it's easier planning for less people. And just finally, Ida, I guess that this is one tournament where being the champions is not the biggest thing. It's uh, all about making it to the Olympics. Exactly, Steve. It's actually less so about who wins it and more so about who makes it to the Olympics in Japan. And some of the players expressed just what it would mean to them in their country to get that Tokyo 2020 ticket. My name is Anthony Judis. I play as a central defender. It keeps Nigeria in the position where we are because in Africa we are one of the best footballing nations. So it's just going to the Olympic is just like taking our place. If we're not there, it's just like losing our place. Well, uh, that's our main objective here to qualify for the Olympics. And um, the last group done it. Uh, they've qualified for the Olympics, and I think that uh, we have a group strong enough to do it as well. And yeah, um, it would mean the world to us and the world to the country. And um, yeah, each player has pride in representing uh, his country and I think um, for us that's the objective here. Definitely I think uh, with the team that we have um, and the space that the country is in with the sporting excellence at the moment, I think that uh, we could follow it up and bring more joy to the country and uh, rejoice the country once again through sports. Well, the young South Africans definitely inspired by that Rugby World Cup win by the Springboks. They're hoping that they too can be able to go back home with some level of success. Now, on the other hand, the Olympic Eagles, Steve, do believe that if they do get to Japan, then their aim will be nothing else but to match the 1996 performance that saw Nigeria win gold. Now, the funny thing about that, Steve, is that was at a time when these young players playing in the under-23 Afghan weren't even born. (laughs) And it means just as much to the fans. I can't wait to be in Japan. That's just a fact. That's why I'm here. Right now we are on a winning mode. As you know, South Africa is the 2019 World Rugby Champion. We want to win all the championships for our country. We are. Definitely we will qualify. Definitely we will qualify. South Africa fans at the Under-23 Africa Cup of Nations in Cairo. Many thanks for that, Ida. So the final is on next Friday, the 22nd, and the same day before that game, the all-important third and fourth place playoff, with the winner of that game taking third place and the third slot for Africa at the Olympics for Tokyo next year. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen too on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there too. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast. Plus in the About Us section, there are pictures and profiles of all of the team so you can find out more about us and see what we all look like that's on our new look website planetsport.tv now we go to social media and on last week's show we spoke to the chief executive of the world leagues forum an organization formed in 2016 with 38 members including six in africa and all of europe's top leagues now jerome perlamuta told us that while africa has great players and passionate fans there are challenges in the structures in administration and in corporate governance which are holding back the development of african leagues 
So last week we asked how professional and well run is the league in your country. Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard with some of your comments. Thanks, Steve. And it's been very interesting to see the comments this week about the very wide range of differences between the situations in five different African countries. And we'll start with Moenda Zambwe, who is in Zambia. The league here is great and professionally managed, although with challenges of calendars, says Moenda. In Zambia, the league used to start in March and end in November. The reason being due to a lack of quality football pitches, so it was another way of avoiding the rainy season. However, with the CAF Champions League games, our calendar had to change to suit Europe, where the league starts in August and ends in June. We expect to have a lot of rain in December and January, so we're yet to see what will happen to the fixtures. And Bizwek Njakwa got in touch from Malawi, where he says the situation is very different. In Malawi, there are many problems that stop the smooth running of the game, says Bizwek. Unprofessionalism, beliefs and politics have disrupted the game. Many of the people in leadership positions are not professionals, but due to their financial muscle, they managed to win football elections but they're not good administrators. Also, juju as a belief in Africa is contributing negatively to football. Politics has both positively and negatively affected the game. In an election year, there are a lot of trophies to be won, but once the election has gone, they cease to sponsor any. Football infrastructure is another problem, with matches played on grounds which are not nearly good enough for the required standard of football. Well, thank you for that then, Bizwak. Uh, Quite a sad picture there of football today in Malawi. And Daniel sent us his thoughts on the situation in Ghana, where sadly the position right now is even worse. Ghana in particular has not seen league football for almost a year now, says Daniel. I believe strongly it is a right path that the National Football Association has taken. Corruption and other related indecent footballing acts nearly collapsed our love for the game. If there's such a body that governs these matters too, then Ghana should be checked as well. Well, uh, yes indeed, uh, Daniel. In June last year, the Ghana Football Association suspended all football until further notice, following the very damaging corruption allegations levelled against the FA president, Kwesi Nyantachi, along with other top officials and some referees. Now, that followed a video produced by the investigative journalist Anas Arameo Anas, that showed officials allegedly engaging in various fraudulent and match-fixing activities. So there's been no football in the country since then, but there are hopes now that the league will resume again next year. But uh, yes, a very sad situation there in Ghana. And we turn to Sierra Leone now, and Mohamed got in touch. Of course, football in my country is highly loved by the footballers and the fans. But the truth is that our local leagues here are not well run, says Mohammed. Oms K. Baji is in the Gambia. Well, says Oms, it's so unfortunate that in my country, the Gambia, our national league is an amateur league. Teams here are still on pre-season in preparation for the start of the 2019-20 campaign. And Momar Tambajang, also in the Gambia, makes the same point. It's very sad that in my country our league didn't turn professional, says Momar. We are still struggling to produce top-class players due to poor management and a lack of investment in grassroots football. And finally today, also in the Gambia, 
Abrima Mboe tells us about another national competition there that is proving both popular and working well. For us here in the Gambia, says Abrima, our league is run professionally, but it does not have the same huge fan base as a cup championship that is played after a zone tournament called the Super Nawatan. This is the most followed championship in the Gambia. It's played between zones in the different regions in the nation, and the zone with the most trophies in the history of these championships is Serakunda East. Well, thank you for updating us on that situation there in the Gambia, Abrima. And so there you are, Steve, a wide range of differences here, and clearly Africa has still got a long way to go when it comes to providing adequate standards of governance and administration. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, Very interesting. We've heard in the past from other fans in the Gambia how much they love the Super Nawetan. As for Ghana, that's a sad situation. Uh, Malawi is a situation that uh, many can relate to. And it'll be very interesting to see how it works out in Zambia when the rains come. Uh, Here in Zimbabwe, we nearly changed to the European calendar of August to May this season. But uh, the pitches are just too poor and the idea was shelved for now. Well, this week on social media, asking for your thoughts on the English Premier League. Which teams do you think will finish in the top four? Uh, We're a third of the way through the season and the table has a rather unexpected look with Leicester in second behind Liverpool and Arsenal, Manchester United and Tottenham all well adrift of the top four places. Uh, Now, most of us will expect Liverpool and Manchester City to finish in the top four. But which other two teams will join them? Will Leicester and Chelsea hang on or will perhaps uh, the likes of Arsenal or Manchester City close the gap and take a a place in the top four? You can give us your thoughts on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero which teams will finish in the top four in the English Premier League. So it's an international break this weekend. No English Premier League games. Liverpool have an eight-point lead ahead of Leicester and Chelsea, with Manchester City a further point away in fourth after that 3-1 defeat to Liverpool last Sunday. So only 12 games gone, 26 left and six months to the end of the season. Uh, But Stuart, would you say that at last this could be Liverpool's season? Well, time will tell how significant Liverpool's win over Manchester City proves to be. But an eight-point lead at this stage of the season means that the league title really is Liverpool's to lose. It was a fascinating game, though, with Manchester City having more possession, twice as many corners and a number of chances, but not managing to score until they were 3-0 down and the game had gone. It's hard to put into words, but somehow Liverpool just looked more determined, battled for every ball, and of course took their chances. And not only did Manchester City lose, but with Chelsea and Leicester City winning, as you say, City have now dropped to fourth in the table. I thought Pep Guardiola's comments after the game were rather strange, saying, We played an incredible performance. I don't think many teams come to this stadium and play the way we did. Liverpool scored with their first shot on target, but we played incredibly well. I find it hard to see a performance in which you don't manage to score until you've lost the game as an incredible performance. Either he's trying to put a positive gloss on a really disastrous defeat, or he's saying something he doesn't really mean. And his follow-up was equally interesting. There are now three teams with more chance of winning the Premier League than us. Is that almost an admission of defeat already?
Of course, City were unlucky not to have their first choice goalkeeper, Ederson, because he's injured. And without Americ Laporte, their defence does just look vulnerable. And of course, Ederson is not just a great goalkeeper. He's also an excellent footballer. And given how City like to play from the back, he's missed for that as much as his basic shot-saving ability. But let me give you some interesting statistics on Manchester City and Guardiola. Manchester City's manager has lost eight matches in all competitions against Jurgen Klopp, three more than he has against any other manager. And Guardiola has also lost more away games at Anfield against Liverpool than he has in any other competition anywhere else. So there's just something about Liverpool. And to put Liverpool's eight-point lead in context, it's not since the 93-94 season that any team, after 12 games of a Premier League season, has had such a lead. And Manchester United then had a nine-point lead. And Liverpool are also incredibly unbeaten in their last 17 home games against Manchester City in the Premier League, going back to 2003. The Liverpool goals were scored by Fabinho and their African striker Salah and Mane. And Liverpool's start to the season of 11 wins and a draw in 12 games is incredible. And don't forget that within those 11 wins are victories over Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham and now Manchester City. And basically, as I say, the league championship must be Liverpool's to lose. Now, there was some interesting fallout from that game during the international break when it was announced by the Football Association that Manchester City's Raheem Sterling had been dropped from the squad as a result of a disturbance in a private team area. That was later clarified that Sterling had had a bust-up with Joe Gomez of Liverpool. If you may recall, during the game, they had an argument on the pitch. Sterling has dealt with it well, saying on Instagram, this is a sport where emotions run high, and I'm man enough to admit that my emotions got the better of me. Yes, it was good for Sterling to say. Now, one thing from that game, Stuart, I'm beginning to conclude that we just don't know what constitutes handball anymore. I'm talking about the handball shout against Trent Alexander-Arnold just seconds before the opening goal came at the other end. Uh, There was so much post-match analysis on this. Alexander-Arnold was hit on the arm accidentally. His arm was out, but uh, as he was running back, it was argued that it was a natural position to have your arm out if you are running back. Uh, Really confusing for fans, Stuart. Steve, I'm in Dubai at the moment for the World Disability Athletics Championships. Incidentally, so are the Brazilian team who are playing a friendly here. And I was reading the Gulf News at breakfast, which stated that there was a clear handball by Trent Alexander-Arnold. The problem, I think, Steve, is there's now no such thing as a clear handball. The law used to refer to deliberate or intentional handball. And that sort of means that a player intended to touch the ball with his hand or arm. Then we have this interpretation of your arm being in a natural position. Now, that was okay when you're talking about someone having their arm above their head to block a free kick. Clearly, that's not in a natural position. But Trent Alexander-Arnold's arm was close to his body, but not touching his body. And I suppose the decision is how far away from your chest can your arm be and still be in a natural position. 
And then there's the question of how far the ball travels, because if someone hits a ball at you from perhaps a meter away, you really don't have time to get your arm out of the way. And to make it even more complicated, we have this ludicrous situation that the ball strikes Trent Alexander-Arnold, and it may be handball, but if it had hit a Manchester City forward's arm and dropped at his feet, then it would definitely have been handball because he would have been deemed to gain an advantage from it. And I mean, we've said previously on this programme that it's totally unsatisfactory that a ball hitting a defender is not handball and an identical incident with a ball hitting a forward is handball. In hockey, if the ball strikes a player's foot, the player is penalised, whether intentional or accidental. This can, of course, result in a player deliberately hitting the ball against an opponent's foot to get the free. But I just think unless football is going to do the same and change the law so that any contact with the hand or arm is deemed to be handball, this will always be a grey area and will always be open to interpretation. Yeah, very confusing in football right now. Thanks a lot, Stuart. English Premier League is back next weekend. Well, that's it for the show for this week, but on social media, asking which teams do you think will finish in the top four in the English Premier League? Uh, Surely Liverpool and Manchester City will take two of the places, but Leicester are currently second. Arsenal, Manchester United and Tottenham are well adrift of the top four. So which teams do you think will finish in the top four? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa at the Under-23 Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt, from Stuart Weir currently in Dubai, and from Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.